This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. Yes. It's an off year, but we've got an election coming up, people, and someone out there is trying to sneak some big changes past us. There's an individual or maybe a group who spent $540,000 already trying to reduce the number of unrelated adults allowed to live together, lower taxes, and push the city toward an even tougher posture toward our unhoused neighbors. And the worst part? We have no idea who these people are or where this money is coming from. Today is Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Hold on, let me just, my cat is freaking out. I don't know if you <laughs> no can hear problem. my cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Hold on. <laughs> Sam, go inside. Connor McCormick Cavanaugh is a reporter for Westward. For the past few months, he's been pouring through campaign finance reports to better understand who is influencing our election. So we're going to talk about dark money, in particular because there's a group pouring dark money into uh, this current Denver election. But I, I think that dark money is kind of an abstract concept. And to me, the name implies that it's almost like an invisible thing. So could you help me understand what is dark money? Dark money is when entities that want to give money to an election or an electoral cause use legal means to conceal the true source of their money. There's a Supreme Court decision from 2010 that kind of opened the floodgates for dark money more and more in elections. And we've seen a lot of it across the country. And now we're starting to see a lot of it in Denver, especially. How does dark money work in an election like the one that's happening in Denver? Like to me, I kind of think of it almost as like a shell company for special interests. Like it's like a it's like a secretive. I don't know. Yeah, I think a, a shell company, uh, the idea of like setting up a uh, kind of an LLC or a company in, in the Caribbean or the Cayman Islands, for example, to to conceal whose money it is to maybe pay less taxes. That's that's a fair analogy. It's 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 what's happening here. It's it's folks who have set up an entity because the person or the people or the organizations who are giving the money don't want the electoral base or the, the constituents of Denver or anyone to know who's actually behind the money. And so once you've set up one of these shell companies or shell organizations, you can just give and give and give to political campaigns. Yeah, there there are limits when it comes to candidate contributions for candidate campaigns, but for um, ballot issues, there are no limits. 
so you can give until your heart's delight. And what would they like? What would they be using the money for? Like, where would we see it? Is it is it in things like mailers? Like, what is the the practical application of the dollars going into something if it's not going to a candidate? Yeah. So normally, when a campaign for a ballot measure kicks off, normally they're trying to land the the item, the initiative, or the measure on the ballot. So. It'll typically go to paid signature gathering and um, paying for signature gathering, while it, it may not sound um, the most grassroots uh, like way of getting on the ballot, it is kind of like the standard practice. And if you, if you have the money, you, you, you do it just because it's, it's tough to get close to 10,000 signatures to land on the ballot. So um, you, you hire a canvasser uh, company and, and they're the ones who do it. And so that's, that's initially what you do. And then as things progress, you can either spend it on marketing. So whether that be advertising or mailers that actually come in the mail. So usually it, it usually happens in two phases. First is the signature gathering and then second is the, the marketing. There's another way that marketing can happen and it's called independent expenditure. And it's where it's what we're seeing in this election. It's where. In this example, it's a dark money entity. They're not donating directly to the campaign. They are instead directly spending money on advertising and mailers and Facebook ads for two initiatives. So they're doing it independently. They're spending the money rather than giving it to a campaign. So that's kind of the third way that we see money influence ballot measures and initiatives in the Denver elections. That's interesting because I got this mailer the other day for question 2F in Denver, vote yes and keep our children safe. And this is about actually the group living ordinance repealing it. But if you look, it just says paid for by Defend Colorado. So you've been reporting on this dark money infusion for a couple of months now. What have you learned about Defend Colorado, this this group that's behind some of the dark money in this election? So when you look up Defend Colorado online, you'll find some past articles in in which they lobbied on behalf of um, oil and gas stakeholders in the past in Colorado. But they've still kind of had a small footprint, I would say, overall. There's not much about it online. And when I've reached out to them, they have told me, hey, you know, we're we're pro-business, we're supporting... um, initiatives and measures that would be helpful to businesses or kind of roll back, roll back the perceived harm against the Colorado business community. And so we, we don't know a ton about them. And I've asked them, who is behind your money? And they, of course, declined to answer. They, they don't have to report who's behind their money. I would love to know, but they don't have to. And yeah, they're, they're backing three, three measures that are going to be on the ballot this November. One is the group living repeal. And then there's initiatives 303 and 304, both of which are sponsored by Garrett Flicker, who's the chair of the Denver Republican Party. Interesting. So based on the things that they're supporting this election, like you're saying, repeal of group living, this camping ban piece, and then the sales tax piece. And then this connection to the Republican Party, we're kind of getting a picture of who might be who this dark money is, but we just still don't know. They won't say. 
I'm sure they would push back against any kind of classifications or categorizations of them. But yeah, I, I wonder, what I've been wondering is, I think it'd be tough for a Republican, someone coming from a conservative kind of Republican ideology to win a, an election in Denver. I think it would be really tough nowadays. So what I'm wondering is, is this a case of more conservative Republican interests seeing an opportunity to influence Denver politics in a way that's kind of more um, low profile, can fly under the radar, won't be classified necessarily as a Republican or as a conservative um, effort, and will be successful because it's money, it's not candidates that they're having to put up. Interesting. So this is a way for conservatives to have an impact on Denver politics because it's an off-year election and turnout is going to be lower. So then, like, why these two initiatives in particular, 303 and 304? I think these are two initiatives that can win over some voters. One is a sales tax decrease, which can be a popular issue. I think people generally like to pay less in taxes. And in Denver, that's not always the case. Sometimes Denver voters are pretty okay with tax increases. Um, yeah, so he, he went for the, the sales tax decrease. And then also with, with homelessness, the way that I look at it is it's, it's hard to, to meet someone who's happy with the way that the city is handling homelessness. True. <laughs> yeah. So whether that's you feel like the city is being too heavy handed, or you feel like the city is not doing enough, or there's something else about the city's approach that um, you want to criticize. I, I, I've, I've rarely met someone who says, yeah, you know, the city's doing a bang up job on homelessness. And so this, this is a way for the Republican Party in Denver to say, hey, Denver is not doing a good enough job when it comes to homelessness. And we have an alternative approach. Let's, let's give this a shot. We're, we're trying to do something. And I think that's that's a possibly a way to to gain some support, to gain some credibility for the Republican Party in Denver. Interesting. And so you're talking about Initiative 303, right? Yes. That's the one that deals with the camping ban. Yes, exactly. Can you explain what what they're proposing with that initiative? Yes. Yeah, so you you really have to read the the fine print. So with Initiative 303, what it does or what it would do is amend the unauthorized camping ordinance, aka the urban camping ban or the camping ban, which makes it illegal to shelter outside using like a tent or a sleeping bag on public or private property without permission. And so the amendment to the urban camping ban would make it so that a citizen could file a complaint with the city, which a citizen could do now. They could call 311, but this kind of formalizes the process. So they could file a complaint with the city if there are, say, some tents nearby or they see an encampment. And within 72 hours, the city of Denver would have to enforce the camping ban. Now, enforce, that's, that's a word that can mean a number of different things, and so I can't pretend to know exactly what it means in this case, but enforce the camping ban. And if the city doesn't enforce the camping ban within 72 hours, then that citizen can file a lawsuit and sue the city. It would create a situation where the city of Denver would get hit by lawsuits on both sides, potentially. 
for not acting within the 72 hours or for acting within the 72 hours and then potentially violating court orders or violating the constitutional rights of people. And so it, it would create a, a very litigious situation. Which seems counter to us getting anything done. <laughs> I don't know. But what's interesting about this initiative is they also have this component of it where he says, Garrett Flicker says he wants to develop like four more safe outdoor spaces, right? It's like his sort of concession, I think, in this. Yeah. And so it's it's important to read the fine print with this section, too, in which, honestly, I initially, the way that I looked at it said, okay, this this is going to automatically call for the creation of four camping sites or four safe camping sites that are sanctioned by the city. That was an incorrect reading. What it does is it allows for the city to create up to four safe camping sites on public property, and then it caps that. Oh. So there would be a maximum of four safe camping sites on public property in Denver per the initiative. Now, what it doesn't say and doesn't comment on is on private property. So there's nothing in the initiative that says you can do this many on private property. Now, the current situation is that the city of Denver can do, I don't know if they would be able to get the political will for this, but they can do as many safe camping sites on public property as they want to right now. They could do four, they could do five, they could do 10, they could do 20. They have that power. Right now, we have two safe camping sites on private property, on one on a university's campus and the other on a church parking lot. And so right now, we have private property and the city could do as many public property or as many private property as they want. So this is actually would kind of constrain that ability to to expand the safe outdoor space program. Exactly. Do you think that Defend Colorado's strategy, this this sort of dark money entity is is working? I I guess I would wait until November second. You know, I if if all three of these measures pass, or even if one of them passes, then I feel like that they were successful. Why should this matter to the average Denver voter if an anonymous organization is putting money into our election? I think a Denver voter should care who's behind the money, should want to know who's behind the money, um, should demand to know who's behind the money. Those demands might go unanswered, but I think it's important to know who is trying to influence our elections using money. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of money coming in for certain things. Why is that? Who is this? And why do they want us? Why did they want us to not know who they are? You know? Yeah. Well, Connor, thank you so much for explaining this. This was really helpful. My pleasure. Okay, I know that was a lot. So let me quickly sum up what these anonymous people have already spent $540,000 to support. There's referred question 2F, which would repeal the group living expansion city council passed earlier this year and limit the number of unrelated adults who can live together to two. 
Then there's Initiated Ordinances 303 and 304, which were led by Denver GOP Chair Garrett Flicker. 303 would allow people to sue the city for not responding to complaints about our unhoused neighbors within 72 hours and put a cap on safe outdoor spaces on public land. And 304 would lower and cap our sales tax. We reached out to Garrett Flicker, Defend Colorado, and Safe and Sound Denver, which is the organization leading the group living repeal effort, and none of them agreed to talk to me. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Denver Parks and Rec is being accused of shady behavior after two mayoral appointees had their jobs reclassified to what are called, quote, career service authority positions. Channel 4 reports that Parks and Rec Executive Director Happy Haynes is behind the move, which provided job security and a 29% salary increase for Scott Gilmore and John Martinez. Councilperson Amanda Sawyer was critical of the move because, though the process is legal, it means Mayor Hancock's successor will inherit two well-paid and high-ranking employees they may not want in their administration. Oh, and there's the conflict of interest issue, too, as Parks and Rec manager Scott Gilmore happens to be married to Councilperson Stacy Gilmore. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us or... Be like my Aunt Erin and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We read every single one of them. Oh, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I got a second one yesterday. Will a halfway house be moving in next door? I'm like, okay. I know who you're talking to, and it ain't me.